Good morning and welcome to April's AMA with Phil Squire. Um, my name is Will. I'm head of sales here at Consalia. Um, this is a great opportunity to ask Phil anything related to, to sales. Um, this is, I believe, our third AMA now. And yeah, we've had a few questions submitted to us in advance. And so if you're ready, Phil, I can go ahead and ask you the first question. Great. Yeah, ready when you are, Will. Okay. <laughs> That's fine. Hopefully they... Um, they should all be relatively straightforward this time. Uh, we had a few curveballs last time, but I'll stick to the script. So, uh, Phil, what steps can I take in order to develop a sales academy within my organization to help salespeople grow in their sales roles? Well, I think that the, um, you know, the, the first step is really determining what, is the vision for what the sales academy should achieve. Um, from our experience, most organizations who are interested in the notion of setting up academies, they, they have a, a desire to um, formally professionalize um, their sales force. They, they tend to use the word professionalize and they would see that the academy being um, a conduit for doing that. Um, so um, what would then underpin, you know, how the academy could support the organization is determining what might be the career paths and therefore the development paths that the academy could then support, mm. um, you know, from people who might be entering the organization through people who might have been in the organization for some time. Um, there would be considerations perhaps given to whether or not the academy is there to fast track high potentials in, in, in the process as well. Um, so these are the kind of questions that organizations would be asking of themselves as they start to embark on, on scoping you know, what yeah. the might, might might be. Um, the way that, I mean, it's interesting, the word academy, uh, it, it's a term that, that has been around for many years. I remember we, we set up the first, I think the first academy that we ever got involved in was the Apple um, Sales Academy back in the late 1990s, in fact. And um, that was an academy for all of their channel partners. Um, but the word academy, which normally means sort of academic, it, it stems from academic, is not necessarily seen as being an academic kind of selection of content that could support uh, different career pathways or knowledge areas. Um, but it's a, it's a way to formalize the, the branding of what sales training can do mm. um, inside the organization. So, yeah, the first step is the vision. The second step is deciding on, on you know, the, the structures of the sales organization and the potential career pathways that they would have. Um, then it's a question of deciding whether you want to have this element of fast-tracking talent. I, I just wanted to pick up on, on something you said um, 
before, which is around professionalizing sales. And I think um, the notion of professionalizing sales is quite an interesting one. And I, and I was in this sort of awkward situation um, probably a couple of weeks ago now when I mentioned, you know, we, we set up academies in order to, you know, develop a professionalizing of, of sales within the organization. The response I got was, oh, so are you saying that we're not professional? <laughs> and I don't know if you, you, you can comment on that, but it slightly took me aback because I understand from Consalia's viewpoint on what we're trying to do. But for those that don't know who we are um, or what we're about, what, what do we mean by professionalizing sales? Um, well, it's, it's, it's uh, yes, it is, it is quite, it can be quite an emotive um, topic, I, I know. And, and, you know, I'll come back to your question in a moment, but it's, um, there's still two questions we quite often pose on some of the programs we run, which is, what is the difference between being professional and being a professional? Um, and is it and 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 is it possible for a professional to not be professional in the way that they work? Um, the term being professional normally is associated with some degree of formal education. Um, and that formal education could be uh, an apprenticeship, it could be an academic qualification or a, a, or a, a recognized um, training approach for a given function. So a footballer, for example, would, would have gone to a, a, um, a football academy typically, you know, before they enter you know, professional football play, but that that would be hours and hours and hours of 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 training and development, um, and so you could, in the instance of footballers, argue the case that they are professionals, you know, because of the training that they've received over a period of time. In the world of sales, I think it's slightly different, um, uh, depending on the culture of organisations that we work with. Um, is that, um, you know, how much professional training is actually given salespeople over a period of time. And so, yes, a salesperson, um, um, you know, sort of may, may, may have been in sales for a certain number of years and through that have gained a sort of considerable experience. And one could argue that perhaps they are, um, therefore, you know, in every sense of the word, professional. Um, but I think the way that we see it, as you as you know, is that you know we we argue the case that for sales as a profession to be seen as being professional, um, that um, there needs to be um, an underpinning education supported by a code of ethics and a code of practice. And, 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 and that combination for us, you know, is where we would see um, that a certain degree of professionalization has been reached. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean to say that someone who's not received that education is not professional in the way they go about their business. So I think you've been caught up in a little bit this debate of whether we're talking about acting 
you know, professionally or being a professional, yeah. um, but possibly with people who haven't really spent a lot of time thinking about what those terms actually mean. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, and the way I answered it is, you know, within industry today, you've got doctors who can become, can professionalise, you've got lawyers, you've got accountants, um, who, all, who all kind of take, um, uh, you know, take steps to better their education in order to reach a certain standard. And that's what we sort of meant by the term professionalising sales. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was interested. In, I was just interested to see how you yeah. would respond to respond to that one. The same one, yeah. I think, yes. Yeah, so I think what what's interesting is if you look at it from the buying side, is that um, procurement as a as a specialization has has grown significantly, you know, since the nineteen sixties, and they've um, really underpinned the professionalization of procurement through. Um, very well established now sort of MBA type programs for procurement specialists and a chartered institute of procurement and supply chain um, as well, which has underpinned that sector. Um, in sales, we've not really had that. You know, so I would, I would argue the case very strongly that we're in a catch-up position um, in the sense of now, you know, being able to offer formal sales education to customers and now with the Institute of Sales um, uh, Professionals as, as, as the non-for-profit body that's there to represent, you know, the ethical standards of the industry. Mm. So yeah. um, we're getting there, but uh, we're, uh, in my view, we're not as well established in that respect as, as perhaps the people to whom we sell. Mm. Uh, and in your view, I know we are going off <laughs> off script a bit and throwing a few curveballs but in your view what would that mean to customers if there was a standard standardized profession of salespeople? well i suppose my my view or my vision i think i think that what what would be quite interesting sort of moving forward though i don't know if we will ever get to that stage is is where where suppliers will not work with salespeople unless they have a, um, a at the very minimum signed up to the code of ethics of mm. being sales but 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 at the maximum received some form of qualification that enables them to be, be called a sales professional just like a doctor you would not see a doctor unless they'd received the um, respective medical, you know, qualifications. Would a would a buyer want to receive advice from sellers unless they've had a similar levels of qualification, either to to level six undergraduate degree or or, or perhaps level four, depending on 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 the business. But I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. Um, but um, I think it's. Um, I think it would be um, an interesting question that as a buyer, I would want to ask a seller, which is to what, you know, what code of ethics have you signed up to? You know, mm. can I trust you <laughs> to act in our, in our professional interests? So maybe in, in your time, well, not in my time, um, we might get to that, that scenario. So, so maybe what, 10 years, 20 years? Would you Five like to years. put a number? <laughs> Would you like to put a number on it? I don't know. I don't know if I'll put a number on it. Um, 
No, but I think we I think we are getting there, you know, particularly with some of the um, emphasis around CIPD mm. and, and what's happening on that front. I think we're getting there. But whether customers would want to get there, I don't know. Yeah. It's an exciting time to work exciting in sales. Times. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Okay. Are you ready for for question number two? I'm not sure. Depends <laughs> on what the question is. <laughs> So this has been submitted beforehand and it is, my organization seems to care only about the tools available to salespeople to help increase sales performance, but I feel like we're missing a step here. What advice would you give to someone who is trying to convince their boss that sales tools are only a fraction of the equation? Gosh, um, what advice can you give a salesperson um, I guess that um, it would come from some sort of self-analysis around the reasons, you know, the competencies and skills that they feel they need to have um, in order to perform. Um, and, you know, it could be that the organisations for whom they work have a a coaching practice, or if they have um, some sort of assessment process, which would give that individual the chance to be able to talk about their relative strengths and weaknesses or areas that they want to um, kind of develop in. Um, so that is where I think that I would start. But in the example that has been given by this um, individual, it's often the case that companies kind of assume that they've covered all the base points by offering the tools and processes and product training, which they sometimes call sales training, um, thinking that that's job done. Mm. Um, it's not. Um, interestingly, the um, we were involved with the um, Trailblazer Group in determining the knowledge, skills, and behaviors that are required of salespeople to sell in a B2B environment. Uh, and that's freely available. I think it's possibly available on our website as well, um, Will. Um, but that is a very interesting framework for people to be able to do some sort of self-analysis of, of where they think some of the gaps are. And yeah. I think the conversation using that framework with their managers might actually help maybe spur some you know further conversation about where they can go to top up the skills that they need uh in in, in that respect so i'm i'm not sure if i've answered the question more, but i think so and um for anyone listening to this we'll put the standard in the link below the description so you can check out those competencies uh, that phil has just mentioned um I certainly know from my experience that um, quite often managers over over rely on the tools on their sales people, and it's whether whether or not you use sales tools as a um, sort of as a coaching the sale along or as a whipping tool. And so I think it's it's an interesting sort of um, it's a it's an interesting sort of question, but I really think that. You, I agree that you need to really understand the why, you know, why mm. is it um, that your manager is implementing all these sales tools to drive performance? And is there actually an underlying issue that they need to solve? 
I mean, there, there probably is. I mean, if if the if you have a manager that's just reliant on, um, in a sort of looking at results and performance and and mm. uh, and using, I don't. It depends really on what how we define the word tools because tools could be. Um, um, in a ver various, uh, it could be a sales methodology or a sales framework. It could be um, sales enablement tools such as, you know, ROI calculators or whatever. I, I'm not quite sure what we mean by the word tools. It's quite a wide and varied yeah. term, isn't it? It could be simply the platform you use to outreach your customers measuring 10 calls a day 20 calls a day so i see yeah. yeah i don't i don't know yeah well there's there's an awful lot of um sort of information that's really interesting on some of the podcasts that we run um which talk about the difference between sort of leading and lagging indicators and you know it could it it, it could be that um there's also a world to explore about what is it that we need to do to create the performance that you need of me, Mr. Manager, mm. um, and, and sort of use that then to have a discussion about tools. But really, this is what the manager should be doing. Um, uh, but there, there, there's an argument to say that, um, you know, there's no reason why the salesperson, the informed salesperson could not be the coach to the manager. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting thought. Yeah. Great. Okay. Um, well, this kind of is a nice segue into the next question, which is what is the most underrated skill that sales leaders need to have going into 2022? What is the most I'm, underrated I'm, skill? Underrated. <laughs> um, I don't know if um, the underrated skill. I think that the the, the world is changing just so quickly. Um, I don't know if the word is underrated or or not even considered. You know, sort of attribute. But if you start to look at a typical profile of the competencies required of a great sales manager moving forward. Um, um, what, one of the key skills in a world that's changing so much is this um, attribute that we call critical reflection, um, which is the ability to think critically about events in the moment. Um, uh, to to, to be able to kind of make sense of the ambiguous world in which we're living. Mm. Um, so I think that's one of the key things. Um, I don't know if it's underrated or even not even thought about, you know, and, 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 and can you teach people the skills of what we call critical reflection? Um, but, but without reflection, you don't have good judgment and sales leaders need to have, in my view, sort of good judgment about the decisions they're making about about the future direction of the workforce. Mm. I think a skill that is rated highly, I don't know if it's underrated, is this whole area of emotional intelligence. Um, and I'm, I think the, the importance of this has suffered, has surfaced, sorry, through the pandemic, where um, individuals have had to work often in very, very difficult circumstances. Uh, remotely and that sort of pastoral care 
is something which has become more and more important. I don't know if it's underrated though, so I may, may not have sort of answered um, you know, the, the, the question, but I, I, I certainly think its importance has been um, raised um, as a consequence of the pandemic. Um, I, think, I think we've got much to learn about the fallout of the pandemic in terms of people's mental well-being and health and, 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 and so on. I think we have another question coming in from, from someone on the, uh, on the call here. Yeah, question from Malika. Hello, Dr. Phil, I have a question. What is the nicest way to ask a gatekeeper in a business for an introduction to their director slash VP level manager? The nicest way to ask a gatekeeper. Um, I think that the 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 issue is is around being relevant. Um, you know, you need to have something that gives a compelling reason for a gatekeeper to make a rec recommendation. Um, for you to see someone um, who might be an authority about a particular decision. Um, and that would involve considered research on your part. Mm. Um, that's, so if we tick to that box, if the research has been done and one has got a genuine reason for, um, you know, for wanting to contact someone, um, where you think there's a potential need of what your service might be, that 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 need that you know that's the that's where you need to start. The second area is the manner in which you want to make the approach. Um, um, uh, you know, I've had many people try and get through to me by being slightly arrogant. Um, um, they have been quite assumptive with the gatekeepers. And this, uh, you know, uh, which sort of undermines their position in the organization sometimes. So I think that you can't be good old fashioned charm and tact uh, when, um, when wanting to get put through to someone. So I, I, I think a combination of being relevant and acting with um, charm, uh, sort of being engaging with with the gatekeeper um, is important and it may take a while to build up that relationship with the gatekeeper before they're prepared to put you through mm. um, so don't expect to get instant results it, it you know it sometimes these relationships take a while to build i think you know in these days if you ask any sdr they probably have um a huge amount of experience in how they get through gatekeepers. And I'm sure things have changed from when you were knocking on <laughs> VP's doors and trying to get through the gatekeeper. Um, well, I think what's interesting is that when I first started in sales, um, I was given a target of, of each day doing a hundred spins of the phone, as we called it, in order to, um, uh, to get the required number of appointments eventually. And sometimes you would end up with no appointments in a day. And, 
and in other times you'd get quite a few mm. um, with the way that the things were were being uh, sort of built up um, and I know in the way that I was kind of influenced to get these appointments that I sometimes came across as being too abrasive and in fact I'll never forget I had one 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 MD of a customer a potential client who complained to my boss about my um, general persistence <laughs> and uh, my boss actually was quite good to me he said Phil don't worry about it you know you know you need to be persistent to do this but perhaps I'd overstep the mark mm. um, but yes but I think that even on using LinkedIn and you know the other mechanisms of 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 sort of in, you know getting through to people I think that the um, um, the 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 manner in which you start to build personal relationships, which then could move into maybe a business conversation, is possibly similar, in the sense that you need to be relevant, you need to act with charm, you need to try and approach people at a personal level. I think before you may be able to build that trust, yeah. or you're able to get. Um, them to sort of recommend you to someone else and perhaps inside the organization. Um, but it's a, it's a really critical skill, I think, of salespeople to have. I think in some ways it's the most important skill because unless you, unless you get that conversation going, you don't get a sale at the end of the day. Mm. So I've always admired people who have um, managed that part, you know, the SD, SDRs, as you referred to them, Will, I think that that is arguably, you know, that's where it all starts. One of the most important roles in sales is the role of the SDR. Um, perhaps it's an under-respected and undervalued role in, in a business. Yeah. Um, what so would you yeah, say, well, I, I, you, You've had SDR roles before. Yeah, and I think... Um, well, I agree with what you've said. I think you need to have resilience. You know, you, you need to have a, quite a thick skin. You need to um, be tenacious in, in your approach. After all, the gatekeeper, um, you know, if you, if you act with charm and courteous and you're courteous to them and all this kind of stuff, not too arrogant, they can actually, um, you can find you can actually end up having quite a, a good relationship with them and have some fun in the process as well, trying to get through the gatekeeper. Um, I think it's a, and I totally agree, I think it's one of the toughest jobs in sales and it can be, um, it can be quite demoralizing for, for these guys who are having to pick up the phone a hundred times a day only to be shut down by a gatekeeper. And so I think you just have to keep, keep picking up the phone, keep going, um, yeah. you know, and everything you've said, I, I would agree with. Um, you've got LinkedIn as well. One of the most effective approaches I've had getting around a gatekeeper is actually sending um, sending direct mail. We called it swag, sending swag to the gatekeeper or sending swag right. to, to the VP level manager. Um, swag? Just, just something to get their attention. Um, you know, the reason why they should be speaking to you, but you're sending them direct mail. 
Yeah. So you're not going through digital channels or telecoms. You're going, you know, you're doing something different. You're putting in the effort. Um, so there really yeah. must be a reason why you need to speak to them. So you, when you say direct mail, not email, you're saying posting. Yeah, postage. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, yes, our client, um, Royal Mail, will be very pleased to hear that. And <laughs> I, quite, I quite agree. I, th I think having some something highly personalised yeah. um, arriving through the mail is going to make people sit note. Yeah, but, uh, but be careful with how personalised you go, because I'm not advocating going on to someone's Facebook, finding out that they're really into horse riding and then sending them a horse riding book, for example. Um, it needs to be relevant in, in terms of a business sense. So, um, you know, if you've read an article, you've seen that they've uh, been at an event or they've written um, a blog post or something like that, find something within that context that would be worthy for them to engage with you. Um, and if you can send them anything directly to complement that, then I think that that's a very effective way of getting around the gatekeeper. It's slower, but it's really effective. I think sometimes it's difficult. The difficulty is being able to contact the, the, the right person at the right time and you just don't know, and you know, in, in a, you know, as a as a potential supplier to a client. Yeah. And I think one of the challenges that um, you you know that, that we're beginning to face at a strategic level is how do you how do you keep a level of communication going with someone such that when the time is right, um, they will think of you and mm. they will want to approach you. And I think this is where it becomes interesting, the, 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 the link between, you know, the sellers, the SDRs, the account sales reps, um, and uh, account-based marketing is kind of playing a role. Yeah. Um, and because um, there's nothing worse than, than a salesperson calling you at the wrong time, but perhaps with a solution that you might need at some point in the future. Um, so yeah, I think I think this is all about trying to to increase the percentages of actually getting through to the right people at the right time. Yeah, um, that's the that's the trick. Yeah, and just just you know, last point on that is make sure to to keep it relevant to that individual because I think we we've all seen it in our inbox when um, someone is trying to reach reach out to you, get through the gatekeeper, but you know they're offering something that is completely irrelevant yeah. Um, yeah. to that person. All right, great. Let's, um, yeah, okay, maybe this is, this is a good follow-up question. Say, um, say for context, you've got a salesperson who isn't hitting targets, they're not getting through that gate, gatekeeper fell they're underperforming how would you coach a salesperson to transform the way they sell um i think a lot of this is actually spending time with them listening to the conversations that they they're having and and to, you know i think it's you know are you having the right conversations with the right with the right people and if they're not getting through the gatekeepers, there must be, it's, it's either a quantitative issue or a qualitative issue. 
Um, so the coaching, um, the coaching would involve you sitting down with individuals, um, uh, listening to conversations that are taking place or going out with them on calls and using um, coaching practice to explore how things could have got better. Um, but it's also about how you could use others who may be more successful in achieving results um, to share their ideas and their approaches with others. Um, I think that um, peer, you know, learning from peers doing a similar thing is, is, a, is a great source of um, sort of confidence giving and comfort. Uh, and perhaps seeing how other people are doing it is a way to, to maybe learn new techniques mm -hmm. and, 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 and new methods. Um, so I, I would um, I, 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 I would go down that route. Uh, I think that uh, because you mentioned the word resilience earlier on, because resilience is something which sort of underpins everything, um, that it, I think coaching around being resilient um, is something that, that may be relevant also for, for those that are struggling at a point in time to, to break through. Yeah. But I think, again, we've got some great examples of good coaching practice um, on, um, uh, on the Sales Transformation podcast. Uh, I think uh, to direct people to the Paul Devlin podcast, I think that's very inspirational in terms of how they used a coaching approach to transform the performance of uh, teams. And uh, we, can, we can learn a huge amount from, from Paul Devlin uh, now at Sousa in that respect. I think I, I'm just, I've got here also the, the coaching for sales transformation module that that's, um, uh, you and I have both been on. Yeah. And what, what resonated with me about this question is the different types of coaching that one can do. Um, from transformational coaching, which is around values and belief systems to actually um, skills-based coaching and things like that. And what crossed my mind when this, this person asked this question was, do we as managers understand where the coaching needs to be applied? So if someone is underperforming in my team, do I need to really, do I need to ask them, is this, is this about your transformation or, or is this about your values and belief systems, you know, i.e., do you want to be here? Or um, is this about, have I equipped my sales manager with the right skills in order to be able to um, hit their targets? And, and I think, you know, often, often, you know, being on the receiving end of, of, you know, if you're not hitting numbers, if you're not, if you're, um, you know, if you're not hitting that, those targets that are being set by, by your sales manager. As a sales practitioner, you are, you know, you, we all go through these periods of deep reflection, <laughs> thinking, well, is it me? What can I do? How can I change? Um, and it, it's up for your sales manager to be incredibly emotionally intelligent as what you mentioned earlier in the podcast to identify 
what what how how does that salesperson need to be coached yeah yeah, yeah. so i can see as you're talking you uh, sort of referring back to Cortecum's onion and um you know the different layers and i think you say right you know we 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 might feel as though we're we're coaching to uh, knowledge and skills you know by giving them basho techniques or whatever the techniques are to train people you know mm. to 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 get uh, to get these meetings, whereas the issue might be to do with, you know, it's more, more deeper around their sort of belief system, self-belief, mm. um, could be issues to do with uh, sort of motivation uh, and so on. Yeah. Um, so which go deeper and therefore your coaching approach, you know, needs to be adapted accordingly. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I could, you know, I think you raise a really good point there in in how you go about coaching yeah but paul paul devlin's um approach to to coaching and, and also to for getting everyone in the team up to a certain standard so so that everyone in the team is hitting targets no one's underperforming i think is uh is an incredible uh, approach to sales management and i think we have a huge amount to learn yeah. Um, from him so again echoing phil highly recommend any, anyone to listen to that uh to that podcast it's a great one right okay and i think this might be the last question phil um <laughs> uh, yeah what is the what is the number one attribute of a top performing salesperson blimey <laughs> That's so um, difficult. <laughs> yeah. The number one attribute. Um, of a top performing salesperson. Tactful audacity, probably. Um, what is tactful audacity? The art of knowing how not to go too far. You know, it's um, you know, it's it's the rarest um, attribute from all the research that we've seen yet. You know, provided you've got that that component of trust. Mm. Um, but I think what what's interesting about the word audacity it it, it also implies passion as well because you're you're not going to be bold unless you feel passionate about something, and 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 so on. Um, can I challenge you on that one? You can. Why would you put pro, um, tactful audacity above proactive creativity? Because in my mind, proactive creativity also shows a huge amount of passion. Yeah, yeah it does. And I, I, I think both are important, to be honest, but you asked for the one. I think the one is because I've seen people who have been very um, creative in coming up with ideas, but they just don't have the um, they don't have the audacity to put it across in a really compelling way. Um, you know, I, I I'll never forget we're working with a with a group of individuals um, on a a big deal that was was being pitched into Unilever, and we had about twelve people in the room. Uh, brainstorming ways in which we could um, uh, win this particular deal. And there was a quiet, 
person in the room. He didn't say much about the course of the two days, but he then came up with this sort of idea about, well, I wonder if we could do this, would this help? So um, he was the one that came up with the idea, but he wouldn't have been the best person to have presented it to the client um, because he lacked the, um, you know, he was quiet, he was slightly introverted, you know, and I think that you need that boldness sometimes in a, in a sales role. But obviously, you know, you need to come up with, you know, you can't have one without the other. So, so in that sense, I put the two, two attributes um, really close. I, I did wonder when you were asking the question whether I would, I would put resilience in there because so much of selling is being able to pick yourself up when things don't go well. Mm. Um, and uh, I would put that pretty high on the agenda as a, as a sort of general attribute. Um, but again, if you've got proactive, you know, if you're proactively creative and tactfully audacious, the chances are that you will have um, the underpinning components of being resilient mm. um, that would actually help you succeed. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many things. It's like spinning plates, isn't it? You know, if you if you have tactful audacity without the emotional intelligence, you won't succeed. Um, so I find it very difficult to answer what's the one single thing that's important. I think there's a range of things that are important. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm surprised you didn't say customer centricity. I know. <laughs> I know. It's important. Uh, I'm assuming it. You know, without customer centricity, you can't. You know. Yeah. It, it's it's really, it's really difficult. Um, you know. So to, I think I think. It's impossible, isn't it, to is just it have one attribute? Yeah, you you can't. You you need a, a multitude of attributes, and I think, um, yeah, I think, it, it's important to exhibit all of them. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe if there's one approach to life which which um, which one could argue is the most important important attributes and that, that could be a growth mindset you know the ability to want to learn mm. uh, and self-develop um and and that 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 you know that approach to life will will hold you in very good stead in whatever you do whether it's in sales or anything um so so perhaps one could argue it's just having it's your approach to self-reflection to discovery to learning yeah the most important but i i think assuming you've got the growth mindset um in a sales context i think we're we're down to a number of different things whether it's tactful audacity yeah um i wonder if there's a funnel where it start at the top of the funnel, you have a, a sort of positive mental attitudes. As you yeah. go down, you have the growth mindsets. And then as you go further down the funnel, you have you then start having the attributes that, that customers want to see, like yeah. customer centricity, proactive creative creativity. Yeah. But it all it all starts with the mindset or of the individual. Yeah. I think that's right. I think I think that often when we interview sales directors about, you know, what would you rather people with the relevant, you know, the 
the right skills, but the wrong mindset or people with the right mindset, but the wrong skills. And they invariably say, give us people with the right mindset and mm. we can do amazing things. And I think that, you know, that underpins so much of our philosophy um, in, in how we approach the development of salespeople. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just, that's a, it manifests not just within sales, but as you say, yeah, within life, how you approach, how you approach different things. Yeah. Um, you know, mindset is, is so key. There's yeah. enough development books out there that talks about, you know, mindset as being key, isn't there? Um, yeah, I've just read David Goggins. You can't hurt me, ex Navy SEAL. He also believes it's all in the mindset. So, okay, it's quite an interesting topic. Sweet. Okay. Um, so, I think on that note, um, I think on that note, on Phil's phone going off, he's a busy CEO. Um, we should say goodbye and um, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you. <laughs>